0: Hello, hello, and
1: welcome to the Streetwise podcast, an extension of The Pitch from Kansas City. I am your host, Brock Wilbur. I'm also the editor-in-chief of The Pitch. Welcome to today's show. How is everybody doing out there? Me? I've been spending too much money. (laughs) Um, Not too much, all things considered. Just a lot more. Um, I don't know what I would be saving up for. It seems like A1, the end of the world, but even if you're not that uh, black-pilled what am I saving for? A vacation anytime soon? Concerts? Nah, just, just me here in the space that I occupy, and uh, I've just decided to start getting everything that I want uh, if I have the ability to do so. The paycheck comes in, and I'm like, you know what? That piece of art I always wanted, here it comes. Uh, that weird little t- toy for my recording studio, here it is. I got a little two-octave keyboard this week called the Lumi, and it lights up in a bunch of pretty colors, and I love it. It has made me feel good. And then I check out my credit card statement, and I go, "Ah, that's not what it normally is." But uh, but here we are. What else are you supposed to do? What's what's going to happen? And <laughs> can't just keep donating to to various organizations every day because that that piles up too. So I'm I'm splitting it sort of 50-50. The the nonprofit and political stuff, that that still goes out as per usual, and then some things for me. Uh the same amount out as the same amount in, I suppose, uh for emotional backbone. Uh that is that is my sort of thing, which means that right now I have a couple of really interesting fun pieces of art that I'm just like, I never even thought like, where do I put them? I'm I'm sort of looking around our space and I'm like, I guess I'd have to Take something else down, uh, because otherwise I'm just leaving these things on the floor. Um, so I don't know. Trying to make a good vibe, make a good vibe space. I am one of the only people that goes into the office at this point. Uh, so there are a lot of offices there, uh, including two that are next to mine that are empty because those people aren't coming back anytime soon. And my office has started to sprawl. <laughs> like some of my stuff is now on the walls in there. And sometimes I just hang out in those rooms. It feels like I have a three bedroom apartment somewhere else and i'm like you know what the vibe right now this room i'm not feeling it i'm gonna go sit in that other smaller room where like I I can hear my thoughts a little better and and eventually people will come back and then i'll have to take all this and move it back into one space um and it'll be a little cramped at that point we'll have to figure something else out for then. but right now it's just sort of my play place uh the office is a place where i can uh, wear athletic shorts in and take little jogs around the space in the day because there's no one there to see me. So why not get some aerobic exercise in? So buying records that I only listen to there. I mean, I've created two separate spaces for myself, work and home, and they're both kind of bachelor pads. Uh, just they just have space that are just me and no one else and no one can see me and I'm alone. And um, I don't know. It's uh, It's fine. Figuring out my way through here. Uh, I hope everyone else is doing the same. We have a very fun, very interesting show today. I am talking to the Democratic, the I am talking to the Democratic Governor for the state of Missouri, Nicole Galloway. Uh, she is a delightful interview. Uh, does Does a lot of stuff that you don't expect from politicians. Where she just got really real with me, and I, I a couple of times was like, "Wow, can't believe you were." Uh, that on the ball with that and that willing to tell me what you actually thought so so that's a fun one uh we have next music corner as always but first up our friend jason from stolen dress entertainment is going to read a story from our magazine this month uh, by abby olsas uh called trauma-o-rama uh and it is about how watching horror movies has made people better prepared for the pandemic here we go
2: trauma Orama. New study suggests horror fans might be better mentally prepped to cope with our new reality. By Abby Chasey. When you ask Greg Dedrick if a horror movie has ever helped him through a difficult time, he'll give you a very specific answer. Four or five years ago, I was going through a divorce and knew I was depressed but never really said it aloud, Dedrick, co-host of the Casey-based podcast's Nightmare Junkhead and Nerds of Nostalgia says. Dedrick says the movie that helped him move forward was The Invitation, Karen Kusama's 2015 horror thriller in which a man's ex-wife unexpectedly invites him to a dinner party with their estranged friends. There's a moment at the end when a character expresses grief and regret, and I just started bawling because I realized I didn't want to be that person going, Boy, I really regret not doing that, Dedrick says. This is a horror film that made me address my mental health in a real way. Horror helps heal, without a doubt. Local filmmaker Jill Givargizian has a similar story about watching Jennifer Kent's The Babadook, which focuses on a widow and her son who are terrorized by a storybook demon. That film truly rocked me, says Givargizian, whose debut feature The Stylist premiered at this year's online Fantastic Fest. I saw it a few years after my father passed away, and it portrayed exactly what I went through, still was going through. The feeling of wanting to run away from it, to get over it. Well, you don't get over the loss of someone like the father of your child or your parent it's something that changes you and lives with you. In the film, the monstrous Babadook represents the main character's lingering depression and PTSD related to the loss of her husband and how it's impacted her relationship with her son. The ghost couldn't be gotten rid of, it had to be confronted, accepted, and lived with, Gevorghizian says. I found that so beautiful and moving. Dedrick and Gevorghizian's experiences aren't isolated. In a recent study, researchers from the University of Chicago, Pennsylvania State University, and Denmark's Aarhus University found that horror fans exhibited greater psychological resilience during the COVID-19 pandemic than non-horror fans. According to the study, the findings suggest horror fiction, in the form of literature, comics, or film, gives those who engage with it a scenario that helps them build up effective emotional coping strategies. In other words, That 31-day slasher-thon you've got planned for October might be more than seasonal entertainment. While you're enjoying Freddy, Jason, or Leatherface, your psyche is helping you figure out how to navigate a real-world crisis. Film critic Anya Stanley, a lifelong horror fan, says the study's finding mirrors her own experience with the genre. I have generalized anxiety disorder, and so my body is constantly reacting to threats that do not exist. Horror innately operates in this space and knows the feelings of dread and paranoia as intimately as I do, Stanley says. I already know how to function under extreme stress, but horror is a safe, removed way to engage with those feelings and sort of cozy up to my own demons. How does horror teach us? Matthias Klassen, an associate professor of English at Aarhus University and one of the horror studies co-authors, tells the pitch that the fiction we consume, regardless of genre, always works on us beyond a surface level. When we watch movies or read novels, we're not just killing time. We're actually charting the huge metaphorical landscape of possible worlds and hypothetical scenarios, Clausen says. What's special about horror is that the genre lets us chart the dark areas of the landscape, the pits of terror and the caves of despair. Clausen says that another important survival skill horror can communicate, beyond not splitting up and not going into a creepy boarded-up basement, relates to the frequent social and political subtexts horror movies contain. Horror fiction is very often about pro-social, altruistic, self-effacing characters confronting selfish, antisocial evil. I do think that the best horror works tap into not just ancient defense mechanisms in human nature, but also societal fears, Clausen says. Clausen gives George Romero's classic zombie movie Night of the Living Dead as an example. That's about a basic fear of being eaten, but also taps into existential fears about the meaning of life as well as topical fears about the collapse of society which were very much on people's minds in the U.S. in the late 1960s. Colton Scrivener, who co-authored this study with Clausen, specializes in the psychology of morbid curiosity. A horror enthusiast himself, Scrivener speculates that part of his study's findings may relate to the mindset of morbidly curious individuals. I have a suspicion that if you approach something scary with curiosity, it changes how you think about it. With fear, it's a worst-case scenario. With curiosity, it's questions that don't spark fear, Scribner says. I think that might be partially the case with people who are morbidly curious. With coronavirus, they may not think, am I going to die from this? But rather, what does it do to your body? I don't think they're less afraid, just more interested. I've got a gut feeling. Genius McGee is the president of the Kansas City Horror Club and co-hosts Nightmare Junkhead and Nerds of Nostalgia with Greg Dedrick. McGee says he agrees with Scribner's theory. It's not that nothing scares us, it's the opposite, he says. McGee says the fact that horror films also contain strong themes of action and consequence also makes them good social learning tools. Us horror fans have seen the ill repercussions of what happens when we don't listen. It makes us more aware of it, McGee says. We know we should close the beaches because there's a shark attack. We're more prepared because we know the consequences, because we've seen it before. Some of those consequences are practical, like closing the beach if Jaws is feasting on unsuspecting swimmers. However, McGee says, they can also be existential. A lot of horror movies show the ramifications of not dealing with grief, like Pet Cemetery, McGee says of the Stephen King adaptation in which a father resurrects his dead child. If you don't deal with the root of the problem, it's going to eat you alive and consume you. Anya Stanley says horror films also reward characters' gut instincts when something feels wrong. I have trouble discerning the difference between anxiety and intuition. I second-guess my gut instinct because it can lie, Stanley says. No genre is more aware of our collective slippery grasp on reality than horror. Seeing Rosemary's baby protagonist Rosemary Woodhouse have her reality and body manipulated by insidious satanic forces is an odd comfort because in horror, especially those dealing with cults, that gut instinct is right. There's validation in that. Let it bleed. McGee says there's another way that horror can help build emotional resilience. Sometimes after a rough day, it feels good to see people get hacked the fuck up, McGee says. If you work in an office setting and your boss is riding your ass all day long, watch Mayhem and check out some corporate shenanigans. I'm not the biggest fan of Midsummer, but I hear that movie helps. Whatever helps you release is always a good thing. Catharsis can also impact different groups of viewers in different ways. Jill Gavargizian points to Coralie Fargeat's 2017 rape-revenge film Revenge as an example. I found Fargeet's choices so incredibly confrontational and meaningful, Gavargizian says. She made the protagonist unapologetic and unashamed of her sexuality and sexual power. It asks the viewer, do you objectify her? Do you shame her? Do you blame her? Dedrick says that feeling of release and emotional processing comes out not just through viewing films, but in the making of them, and the movie's response to specific forms of fear. Horror is a good way of responding to societal ills. The way that the world is right now, here in a few months, we're going to see some really creative art that's been generated through a lot of suffering. McGee agrees and says the ultimate strength of the genre is its ability to adapt to new cultural settings. Fear, after all, is universal, but the things we fear and how we respond to them are changing all the time. It's always gonna be there for someone because there's always going to be someone with a new perspective and a new form of fear that nobody thought of, McGee says. We wouldn't have had hosts 20 years ago, he adds, referring to the 2020 horror film that takes place over a video chat. Horror is for everybody. If more people understood what horror represents, we might have a better understanding of not just the genre, but each other as well.
1: And now, as always, ladies and gentlemen, Nick Spacek's Music Corner.
3: Hello, I'm Nick Spacek, music editor for The Pitch, here with this week's local music recommendation. Singer-songwriter Megan Lattrell has been a regular on the Folk & Roots music scene for the better part of the last two years. As host of the All Women's Songwriter Showcase at the Kaw Valley Pub in North Lawrence, Luttrell regularly brings together a collection of longtime veterans and up-and-comers, and her own music recently earned her Best Solo Musician accolades in Best of Lawrence. Latrell has been releasing singles here and there in the lead up to the release of her eventual second album, following up 2016's Broken Bottles. and the latest is a rollicking country bluegrass number called "Just Out of Reach." The song features Shannon O'Shea on fiddle, who's performed with a veritable who's who of Lawrence Roots musicians such as Carswell and Hope, Sky, Speed, and Lily B. Moonflower. The song's a fantastic showcase for Latrell's powerful voice and is sure to brighten up your mood. The song's a fantastic showcase for Lattrell's powerful voice and is sure to brighten up your mood as the weather turns cold and gloomy. You can find it on most streaming services. You can also find more information about Megan Latrell at her website, MeganLatrell.com. That's M-E-G-A-N-L-U-T-T-R-E-L-L, and on Facebook at Latrell Megan. Here's just out of reach.
4: there
1: gentlemen. This is my call with Nicole Galloway. Nicole Galloway is running uh, to be the governor of Missouri, and she is running against Governor Mike Parson, a guy who him and his wife uh, recently got COVID, and they still kept trying to do large public gatherings uh, because they're assholes. Parson is also only in the job uh, because the previous governor uh, resigned in disgrace, uh, Eric Greitens. He uh, he faced a sex scandal. He's coming back in his own way in that he has a 5 a.m. news show starting on a right-wing network that no one's ever heard of, nor do they have access to. Uh, so if you're big into hearing a dude that we all know sucks, uh rant about right-wing stuff at 5 a.m., he's your boy. That's where you can find that. Uh, but uh, he left, and uh, Parson was a lieutenant governor, so he just took over as governor. So he's been running our state for a bit here. Um, and no one picked him. No one picked him for that spot. So we have high hopes, high, high hopes for living here with Nicole Uh, to step in and make some changes, especially because she's a goddamn scientist. uh, And uh, it seems like in the middle of a pandemic, maybe that's the person you want leading uh, instead of the guy that just kind of hopes that we'll pray our way through it. So here's our interview with Nicole Galloway.
0: Auditor Galloway, thank you for joining us today. Would you please introduce yourself to the audience? (laughs)
5: Uh, absolutely. So my name is Nicole Galloway. I'm currently state auditor, and I am running to be the next governor of the state of Missouri. Uh, and honestly really, I am running because as state auditor, I have seen that the system is broken. It is not working the way that it should. Uh, I found waste and abuse and corruption in our government. And I want to return Jefferson City back on the side of working families, back on the side of Missourians so they can have Affordable health care, they can have good schools uh, to send their kids to, uh, and we can move past this COVID crisis, get COVID under control so we can get our lives back.
0: Now, you would be uh, the first uh, okay governor in a while uh, if you were elected. Uh, Currently, you are running against our incumbent who was not elected. Can you tell people what happened there?
5: Right. Well, I, so uh, you might remember that we had a governor named Eric Reitens, um, who resigned in a fog of scandal. And uh, Mike Parson was lieutenant governor at the time and stepped into the role of governor uh, two years ago. And, you know, while I think uh, folks gave him some credit for setting the ship early on, it became very clear very quickly that being better than Eric Riton's uh too low the bar to move our state forward. Um, In his time, I mean, we we have watched his failed leadership uh, during COVID. Uh, He's kicked 100,000 children off of their health insurance. He has no plan or vision for Medicaid expansion with voters approved. Um, And he supports right to work. Overturning Clean Missouri, I mean, he's wrong on issue after issue. And uh, I've seen those gaps in leadership uh, firsthand. And uh, as I said, it's why I'm running.
0: You are the first politician I think I've spoken to, perhaps ever, uh, whose Wikipedia entry goes out of its way to note that you were an Applebee's server. Can you talk about your service in that time and how it's helped prepare you uh, to be governor of the state? (laughs) that's amazing. Um
5: yes, you know, so I did. I, I went to University of Missouri Rolla. It's Missouri ST now. Uh and while I was getting degrees in applied mathematics and economics, I did work as a server at Applebee's. Um and it's so funny that you bring it up because I have been on the road all across Missouri and I have eaten at Applebee's several times over the last few days and for me it doesn't disappoint. I'm someone that when I work at a place. I worked at Addison's in Columbia, if anybody's familiar with that. And I love their food even more after I work there. Um, but really, you know, being a server, uh, anyone that works in the food service industry, what it teaches you is patience, people skills, um, and problem solving, because there's lots of things that happen that are totally out of your control, yet the customers are depending on you to fix it for them.
0: It, it is also uh, rare for me to be speaking to somebody that uh, has a degree in applied mathematics and also chose to go into government. Uh, it feels like that's, uh, there's not a lot of crossover there. It's really nice to be talking to somebody and to have somebody that's going to be our future governor who is um, smart. That's, uh, that feels like that's not often in play. Uh, and it feels like we need somebody uh, in this office that has a degree in applied mathematics to handle The COVID problem that we're facing right now, you know, somebody that believes in science, what is your plan going to be to get us on the right track when you're sworn in?
5: I will listen to public health experts. I do believe in science. I believe in following the data. Um, and so my plan is based on science, based on data, based on containment, mitigation, having a statewide mass school, because data shows that that is the best tool that we have to contain the spread of this virus. So as I said, we can get our lives back. We can have our schools fully reopened. We can have our economy open again. We are at a dangerous place. With the coronavirus right now, because Governor Parson refuses to listen to the data, um, he he's just not facing reality. You know, there in Kansas City, hospitals have turned ambulances away because they're so overrun with COVID patients. We cannot continue down this course. It is not safe uh, for the public health. Um, and as community transmission goes up, as hospitalizations go up, we know that the death rate also goes up. You no, know, so this is a matter of public health, but also it's a matter of protecting our fellow Missourians uh, who are deeply impacted by the spread of this virus. It
0: it, it feels odd to be um, to watch the the president uh, throw a super spreader events uh, when when he has contracted COVID. Uh, to to also on like the local level to watch our governor and his wife, who also got it. Uh, continue to throw events and to also have visited places like veterans' homes in the days before uh, they, they quarantine where there are now outbreaks. Uh, yeah, it, do, do, you, do you ever feel the need to do uh, so many photo ops that you uh, might contract a deadly uh, pathogen?
5: You know, I think that being a true leader is not just leading with words, but also leading by example. And when I am out meeting Missourians, we take a lot of precautions to keep everybody safe. Um, I do not want uh, to be part of the problem in spreading this virus. We have events outdoors. uh, Everybody wears a mask. It's socially distanced. And, you know, I (laughs) I was in Springfield yesterday yesterday in the pouring rain, but we all stood out in the rain with our masks on um, to have this event because that was the safest way to do that and, and to reach voters. You what know, I, I will say it, it is very, I would say, alarming. And I've spoken with some folks that have family members in the veterans' homes that Governor Parson visited. And what I am hearing from those family members is a frustration that they have not been able to hold the hands of their, their father, their loved one for months and yet governor parson is there taking uh pictures uh visiting that veterans home you know we can't just say one thing and do another but that's what governor parson does over and over again
0: there was a photo from a from an event a few days before his uh his announcement where uh they sent out press photos that showed him and his family all in masks and then uh, it was revealed to us that uh uh, the press photo was staged. They put on the masks just for that and then went back to their event. And I was like, you know what? That guy's going to get it. There's just no way he doesn't get it. And uh, and there we are. Um, what's the best barbecue in Kansas City? Going to give you a chance to win some votes here.
5: Oh, <laughs> Gates. I love Gates. I, my, so my husband uh, grew up part of his life in Kansas City, a family all throughout the Kansas City area. And the first Kansas City barbecue place he took me to was Gates. And maybe it's a matter of first impression, but Gates Original Barbecue Sauce is the best barbecue sauce I've ever had. And now also my seven-year-old, my middle son, is addicted to it. And it's a little spicy, so I'm impressed uh, that our kids are into it, too.
0: What what ages are your kids?
5: Uh, So my son, William, is eight. He will soon be nine. My son, Ben, is seven years old. And Joseph is three years old.
0: (laughs) Those are all fun ages. They must keep you on your toes.
5: They're i always describe them as a pack of wolves they're always wrestling and you know always in it with each other but um if you if not that you're ever going to come to my house but if you did come to my home you would see that i have pretty much no decorations no little knickknacks on the table we don't even have a coffee table because uh that coffee table has created more injuries and stitches than, uh, (laughs) than I would like to recount. And so um, they're, I mean, they're amazing. They are busy, but um, you know, they do what boys do. (laughs) I
0: I, I like that you had to pet proof your house against your children. Uh, That, that absolutely (laughs) tracks. So they're, they're all of ages where, um, man, uh, school must be really hard right now. Uh, How is that going for them and what are your plans uh, when you become governor for handling the current uh, situation and, you know, retroactively fixing a lot of what's happened here, because we, we worry uh, extensively about the long the long term effects of what this year will do to the, the children in school now, like down the road.
5: <laughs> right. Absolutely. I, I mean, so my kids are doing online school. My two oldest ones are uh, in third grade and first grade. And so they're doing school online. And, you know, they really miss their friends. They miss that personal social interaction that they have um, with their teachers and at school. And I miss that for them, too. I mean, it's, it's been really hard to explain to them what COVID is and why they can't go to school. But the, the reality is because after Parsons shut down the state, And folks gave up so much. I mean, we gave up school for the last part of the semester. Folks gave up income, graduations, time with celebration, time with family, celebrations. And then he did nothing to contain the spread of the virus in the months of June and July. And so as community spread continued uh, and case rates continued to go up and schools couldn't open safely in the fall. The actions that we take now will dictate what can happen a month from now, two weeks from now, from this virus. You have to have a forward-looking view. Um, And so, you know, as I said, we'll have a reset on the coronavirus strategy that will help get our schools open, decrease the spread, because fighting this virus should not mean closing businesses, shuttering schools, taking away people's livelihoods. But that's what it has meant under Governor Parson. Um, You know, Governor Parson Continues not to face, uh, not to understand the realities that working parents face. And instead of making a plan to safely reopen schools like I have, he went on the radio in July and said, it doesn't matter how bad COVID is in our state. that kids will just get COVID when they go back to school and they'll go home and they get over it. And in his mind, for our kids, our families, our school staff, our teachers, we just have to get over his failure to lead. And I think that Missourians deserve better.
0: Now, would you tell people what the Missouri State Auditor does? Because I think in in people's heads, the the auditor is just somebody uh, sitting there going through spreadsheets, looking at stuff. But you have a a fairly sizable office, and you guys tackle a a big swath of things.
5: (laughs) That's right. So my job as State Auditor is to be an independent watchdog on behalf of taxpayers, holding all levels of government accountable, local governments, local school districts, uh, and, and counties, all the way up to large state agencies, uh, and, and holding government accountable for how they spend taxpayer money and how they make decisions on your behalf. And I have found over $370 million in government waste, abuse, fraud. And because of my audits, 63 criminal counts have been brought against corrupt public officials in this state, Honestly, both Democrats and Republicans. But to me, it doesn't matter who you are. You should be held accountable for the actions you take on behalf of the citizens of the state.
0: That is probably the most exciting part to me about becoming governor is that we have somebody that has a history of rooting out corruption. And this state seems to breed nothing but politicians that have to resign in disgrace at some point. Uh, So it feels like you would be uh, you would be in in a good position to help uh, take care of, of, of that sort of thing.
5: Yeah, I mean, our, our uh, Jefferson City is broken, and I have you know, when people tell me they feel like Jefferson City is not working for them or that the system is rigged, it's broken. When I in my position as state auditor, I have really seen and understood what they are talking about because I have seen that firsthand. I mean, when the governor this is an example, when the governor cut a hundred thousand kids off of their health insurance, a hundred thousand kids. He bragged about it at the state of the state and called it, quote, unquote, budget efficiency. And then instead of making hard choices of saying no to no big contracts, saying no to delivering for lobbyists and insider buddies, he gives revenue and money away to them, but won't keep kids on their health care, right? Won't make that, that choice, that decision. Um, and I, I think what people are so sick of is that, you know, this governor is in a position of power making decisions on all of our behalf, but not even considering or thinking about how it's going to impact people in their real lives. His focus are on the lobbyists that gave him a coin collection, right, or that have given him lots of of gifts and and plane rides. It's pretty clear who he is fighting for, and it is not Missouri families.
0: So I've been waiting to ask you uh, ever since the the campaign launch, I've, I've wanted to know, what was the breaking point where you were like, it. I got to run for, for governor. Like, this, this it's going to be me, and I've got to be the one to, like, put an end to this.
5: <laughs> you know, I wish there was some dramatic story of, you know, waking up and reading an article one day and then, you know, kind of dropping the microphone and saying, I'm running. Um, yeah, well, what what's, not the not day, what's the one
0: story that finally is a bridge too far? Like, it's... <laughs>
5: Right, right. You know, to me, and the way that I operate, I'm a very thoughtful decision maker. And to me, there's never really just one thing. It's a, it's a buildup of things. It's a series of moments for me personally, that brought me to where I am. Um, You know, when, after Amendment 3, or after, excuse me, Clean Missouri passed in 2018, Immediately, Governor Parson did an interview and said, um, you know, voters got it wrong. They were confused, and Governor Parson's going to have to fix it for all of us voters who have no clue what's happening, right, Um, because he knows better than you. That really made me mad. But I thought, okay, you know. Um, Then when kids started getting kicked off of their health insurance, and he was purposely – it was acknowledged, and he he purposely let it happen – that really made me mad. His opposition to Medicaid expansion really made me mad. Taking away a woman's right to choose, even the cases of rape—you know—that that was really hard to see uh, that bill pass, and the fact that he championed and, and signed that bill uh, to give rapists more power over their over over women. Um, and you know, it's just all these decisions that he made over time that really built up for me that, you know what, we need a change. We cannot continue down this path. And as I said, you know, being better than Eric Greitens is not good enough to lead our state forward. The corruption of our politics is how Governor Parson got to where he is. Um, You know, he's risen, risen through the ranks of the establishment with the help of very powerful friends. And so even before this crisis, I could see that Missouri families needed a change, but I'll tell you what, fast forward to right now, uh, in the, in what we've been going through in 2020, I am even more certain of it now.
0: I'm a, I'm a recent transplant to Missouri uh, a couple of years back. And I remember getting here and, and since then I've seen two governors, uh, celebrate their attacks on, uh, shutting down Planned Parenthoods, uh, across the state and, uh, And then at the same time, watching that that lack of health care, especially in rural areas, uh, meant uh, that we faced an outbreak of syphilis. And so there was a part of me as we were starting into corona that was like, oh, hey, yeah, we are not going to be good at outbreaks here. I I know that that's what we've set ourselves up for. Um, So it is is nice to hear that you're going to be fighting for a woman's right to choose. That's uh, very important to all of us here.
5: Mm-hmm. I, I mean, look, when Governor Parson's champion signed HB 126, which, as I mentioned, takes away a woman's right to choose, even in the cases of rape and incest, it's cool and it is extreme. And remember that voters rejected the rhetoric of Todd Akin in 2012, right, when he said when he was running for Senate that a woman's body had a way of shutting down legitimate rape, right, shutting that whole thing down. Everybody was well, the stupidest vote of
0: all time. That. <laughs>
5: Yeah. (laughs) Yes, but, you know, voters rejected that overwhelmingly, but Governor Parson took that rhetoric, that statement, and made it the law here in Missouri. Um, It's just, I find it to be cool. Women should be trusted to make their own health care decisions in consultation with their own physician, their family, their faith without Governor Parson being in the room with them as they're making likely one of the most difficult decisions that they've made in their lives.
0: So this is, you're you're reminding people here that uh, in addition to voting for you uh, now or any time between now and the third, that uh, a vote no on Amendment 3 is is a good call, right? Because uh, we shouldn't be supporting an amendment that's based on the idea that voters are stupid and uh, messed it up in 2018.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Vote no on Amendment 3. And here's the reason why. If, you, if Amendment 3 passes, it doesn't just take us back to where we were in October of 2018 before voters overwhelmingly passed Clean Missouri, but it does, it changes the way that people are counted when legislative districts are drawn. And so if you are a teenager right now, yeah, you will not be counted when legislative districts are drawn. Then, when you have a chance to vote, you you will be voting in a district you were never counted in. You were never counted. This we would be the only state in the United States to do to have uh, districts done this way. Even Senator Danforth, Republican Senator Danforth, said that this would create the most gerrymandered districts in the country. And the reason that the legislature, the reason that the governor. Is pushing through Amendment 3 is because they want to hold on to their power. They do not want a fair, transparent government. They do not want non-gerrymandered districts. This is all about their own power uh, because they don't want you, the voter, to seize power away from them at the ballot box.
0: When you get sworn in and, uh, and they give you the keys to the to the office, what's the first personal item you're putting on the desk there?
5: uh, a picture of my children, uh, without a doubt, without a doubt.
0: Thank you so much for your time today. I hope that this was easier and more fun than talking to the editorial board of The Star uh, and uh, best of luck to you. Also, how can people uh, best support your campaign in the final weeks here? (laughs) So
5: please go so that you can find more information about me, about my campaign. You can go to NicoleGalloway.com. But if you want to volunteer, if you want to get out the vote, we need volunteers to, to drop lit, to text messages, phone calls. Go to showmechange.org. Showmechange.org. We need every bit of help that we can get getting out the vote over the next two weeks. This race is incredibly close. We're within the margin of error. Um, and we need volunteers to help us push, push over the edge.
0: Thank you so much. I can't wait to talk to you uh, when you're Governor Galloway. Best of luck.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much. Take care. Ladies and gentlemen, that has been The Pitches Streetwise podcast. Please check out our work at thepitchkc.com. We have a couple of events upcoming because of our best of uh, issue that comes out at the end of the month. The last week of October, we have a couple of Zoom events. We would love to have you guys Check in, hang out with us. Uh, I'm hosting one uh, with Lifted Spirits Distillery, where if you buy a, a box of booze from them, they will send you all the ingredients, and then we are going to be on a Zoom chat uh, where one of their bartenders is going to teach us how to make a couple of different cocktails from us. Uh, I think it's going to be a wonderful time. We would love to have more of you there with us right now. Um, we have a yoga class, and we, of course, have our yearly best of event this time. It's not a black tie gala. It is online but that doesn't mean you can't wear a black tie. you can also not wear pants uh it doesn't matter no one can see uh but we'd love to have you take part in this with us it is nice to remember stuff. pitch in and we'll make it through thank you guys so much for this.